Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry Podcast with me, Philip Heidson, and Darren McAnthony, Chairman, Co-Owner, El Presidente, uh, any other names you want to throw at him, of English League One side, Peterborough United. Uh, Dara, I think you had a pretty good weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, um, I was really, I was surprised everyone didn't play Friday night. I, I For some reason, because again, I don't fix your watch and whatever else, I just presumed everyone was playing on Friday night. So before the game... Um, you know, I was told, no, it's just really us. And I think one of the teams playing, I was like, what the fuck? So I think lots of teams played then Saturday at half 12, a couple played at half five. But I really genuinely thought, well, Friday night gives everyone a chance to the day off, the weekend before playing Tuesday. And obviously, you know, when you play ahead of everyone else, then you want to make sure you win. And we were playing the Neen Classico, which is, you know, our derby, our big rivals. You know, pick your pick your biggest rivals. I don't think Harrogate Town would be Bradford's biggest rival. Well, you know, the, the, how but, we've fallen. But, um, but, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, yeah. pick your biggest derby. And, yeah. and, of course, I've said this for weeks, that if you're playing a side fourth bottom, a side fourth top, there's always juice on the bone. So, you know, both teams are going to be on full at it. They're going to give it everything they've got. And then throw in the mix that it's your biggest rivals. I knew Northampton players were going to be like do or die. Uh, and, you know, look, our goalie didn't have a lot to do. It was very professional. We probably didn't play at our highest levels, but we won the game comfortably. But in fairness to Northampton, they never gave up. Like mm-hmm. even at 3-1 down, like 20 minutes to go, they were still at it and still at it. And that's credit to their manager, I have to say, because that, that's a team that's like fighting for their lives, playing for their manager, because you see some teams just kind of go, well, fuck it, you know, we're done. So at no point are you ever comfortable and at this stage of the season, you could be 9-0 up and you're probably still not fucking comfortable. Do you know what right. I mean? So mm-hmm. it's, it's just that. But look, I keep saying it and people keep throwing out. I, I People were again on Saturday like, oh, are you looking at the results? I'm like, oh, no, no, I wasn't. To be honest with you, what did I do on Saturday? I did a load of work. I watched the movie. I watched the FA Cup. Um, I didn't even put on fixtures on Sky Saturday. Um, because again, like I said, we've got five games left and I want five wins and lots of goals. Mm-hmm. I honestly couldn't give a fuck what everyone else does because really it's about doing, it's about what you do, you know? And I know right now you're in that chasm where you're probably watching everyone around you if you don't have results or whatever else. But if Bradford win their own games, the rest will take care of itself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you've got five games left. If you win all five games, chances are you're going to gate crash the playoffs. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that has to be the message all the time, I guess. And I'm probably saying really monotonous and boring, when people who ring me and email me, I'm kind of like, oh, fucking leave me alone. Fuck off. You know, we just have to win our games and we've got to score loads of goals. That's it. End of fucking matter story. You know? Now, what about the manager and the players? Are they Do they have the same opinion? Same. Really, really focused. Really focused. Like, I was watching the, the players coming off the pitch, you know, um, and the cameras were pinged in and their eyes and their faces and the manager. You know, they weren't over-celebrating. No. They were, like, focused. We have to win yeah. every game. And, and, and I like that. And my manager's the same. And, and nobody's been taken lightly. We're not treating anyone with disrespect. I don't care who we're playing. And that's the kind of work ethic you need at this stage of the season where everyone's just focused. And, and nobody, I'm hoping the players and I'm hoping everyone else isn't falling into that. Oh, what's that team doing? And what's this team doing? And who's playing who? And I hate permutations because like I keep saying, you know, at this stage, none of that makes sense. You'd hate to be a bookie. Because you're, you, you, you know, you're betting on, I think Rochdale, I forget who they beat in the weekend. Do you mm. know what I mean? Again, you know, it makes no sense, the results at this stage. Throw in the COVID. It's just like, it, it's bizarre. And, and like I said, you cannot turn around and go, there's 10 fixtures. I can pick seven or eight in it. You can't. It's fucking impossible. So all you can do is stay focused. 
And, and, and that's where we need to be. And it's like, we win five games and score loads of goals, we're going to have an incredibly good season. And that's yeah. what my focus is, do you know what I mean? And it might sound boring or one game at a time, but that's it. That's all that matters. And, and next up is, uh, is Gillingham, do you know what I mean? And, and again, not going to be an easy game. Because again, there are no easy games in our division. Yeah. Now, do you get any more nervous as the games start running out? No, because I'm, I'm at the stage now where nerves aren't going to do me any good. Um, I have to trust the players, the process, the manager. Um, I have to trust that, you know, the way we're playing, the, the, the mental space we're in, we're in a good place. And if I can trust all of that and put everything behind it, we'll be okay. You know, and we'll achieve what we want to achieve and get to where we want to be. So being nervous is, is not going to help. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't kick the football. So I, you know, a long time ago did my work. So, you, you know, now it's up to obviously everyone else that, you know, the important people to execute and, and yeah. you know, all goes to plan then execute. And, and, that, and that's where we are. And, and it's frustrating, I guess, as a fan or, or looking from the outside. Yes, you can get nervous. Yes, I'm, I saw you were losing on Twitter a little bit on Saturday, you know, because you got that hope. And now the last couple of games, it's kind of been kicked out of you a little bit. And then you win the next couple of games and you're back looking at flights again. It's such a roller coaster, isn't it? That's what it's like being a fan. And, and, yeah. and how did you play? I, I saw the highlights of the game. I mean, what's happened in the last couple of games at Bradford? Is it, is it a fitness thing? Is it, is it a pressure thing? Is it a lucky thing? What, what's happened? Yeah, I think it's... Um, I think we're losing the spine of the team, you know, through injury. So we talked before about Calum Cook going. He really made a lot happen. Uh, we had um, Niall Canavan, who we brought in as centre half, yeah. and you know, shout out to your old scout Ben. When we signed him, he told me, "Well, that's a great signing." You know, it's turned out to be a great signing for us. Really shored up the defence, but he's out for the rest of the season now. And you know, the gaps—you notice the gaps. Um, you know, and we don't necessarily have a plan B. But then you can debate. You know, I've seen varying uh, perspectives the last few days in the press. Do you really need a plan B, or should you just be working on being better at your plan A? Um, but we certainly only have a plan A from a, a tactic and a formation perspective. I don't know. It seems like maybe we're running out of gas a bit. Okay. Um, but what's, I mean, we've we've got what we deserved. You know, we probably deserve to lose to Harrogate. We deserve to lose to Crawley um, in the week. And we're still only four points off the playoffs. And a week ago, we were four points off the playoffs. And that's what's crazy about, yes, the games are running out. But that's what's crazy about this league is it's frustrating because you think, what if? But also, ordinarily, you think, well, that's the season done. But like you say, you win the you win every game going to the rest of the season, you're going to get in the playoffs, even if you're four points behind because everyone else is, um, you know, faltering. If you if you win five games, you're going to gate crush the playoffs in good right. form. So, you, you, you know, that's the bottom line. Um, and I guess if you go back four months and ask any Bradford fan, with five games to go, you're four points from the playoffs, you would have probably cut one of your fingers off for that. I'd have laughed at you, yeah. You'd have laughed at me, but given the choice, you'd be like, fucking all day long, give me the same. <laughs> so, so that's that's the game, you know what I mean? And, and and that's the way it goes. So, yeah, it's um it's an interesting time. The biggest thing I could say is I want the games to come quicker because it's waiting three days for every game, four days for every game. It's kind of like, fucking hell, this is taking too long now, the games. You know, give me another game tomorrow, you know what I mean? It's as simple as that, you know, but that's the greedy football person in me. Do you play, so we're recording this on Monday, do you play tomorrow or Tuesday? Is that your Gillingham game? Yeah, play Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. I think it's all the way through now. Okay. So I think, I, like I said, I haven't fixture watched. I don't look at the fixtures. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, and yeah, so we play Tuesday night. And, um, you know, hopefully we're on form because we're going to be need to be. 
Um, because again, not an easy game. I mean, you know, Oxford got very lucky to beat them late on. Um, you know, Gillian and Steve Evans's team, they're fucking... Yes, there's some history. You know, he wants to beat you too, doesn't he? Yeah, but look, I got on well with Steve. He was at our game tonight, but he would bleed to win any game. It doesn't matter. If, if he was playing his daughter's football team, do you know what I mean? He, he'd still want to win. It's just who he is. So, and I respect that because, you know, that's, that's our industry. Um, and his players would be exactly the same. And they've had an unbelievable season. Um, so, yeah, if our, if our players drop their standards for a moment, there'd be an issue. So they've got to be focused on um, Simple as that. Now, we've got a lot of things that we have on the list to talk about today. We'll see how far we get down the list because we have to start by talking about the European Super League. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've seen a lot of comments on Twitter looking forward to hearing your perspective on things. We're here, again, I'll say we're recording on Monday afternoon UK time. So yeah. by the time this pod goes out on Wednesday, the whole world may have changed again uh, <laughs> at the speed that this is going. They might um, have retreated and ripped yeah. up the <laughs> I don't think what's some initial thoughts from you on this it's a few things um one you know i was listening to gary gary neville uh yesterday he was absolutely right you know about everything he said look the timing is the worst part of this whoever planned the timing on this look i, I get they've been talking about it it's been going on for years and whatever else and the timing fucking sucks like of all the time during covid when there's no fans and clubs are like desperate for money and you know, everything will happen with Project Restart and then Project Big Picture and then the EFL, like, you know, sucking on fucking shared meat bones, do you know what I mean, to try and get some money. Um, timing is just awful and disgraceful. So I don't know who their PR people are or whatever else, but my God almighty, they're just shocking. The overall idea, but I don't like it because as much as it might sound fun and exciting and look, they still want to play in the Premier League and they still want to do whatever else, you think to yourself, it, again, it opens the door that when it, if it takes off and it turns out to be everything they want it to be, then they will fucking leave the Premier League. Then they will yeah. leave the pyramid, and then the pyramid just fucking the pyramid will just fold like a deck of cards or like a cheap fucking suit. Do you know what I mean? Like really quickly. So you don't want that door to be open. Um. So of course I disagree with it. I don't like it. it. Look, it all comes down to money in America, and I live in America. But let's be very honest. You know, United's owned by Americans. Liverpool's owned by Americans. Arsenal's owned by Americans. Chelsea's run pretty much by an American. You know what I mean? Behind the scene. There's so much... Um, and I'm a capitalist. And and I believe in free market and free trade and everything else. But at the end of the day, when you look at what they want, they really want an ideal world where they just get all the money. There's never any danger of their club being in trouble. There's never any danger in failing to qualify for the Champions League. They can buy all the best players. They can keep winning their domestic leagues by 20 points. They can go off midweek and play in this big, fantastical fantasy league. Um, yeah, it's very dangerous for our sport. Um, and look, I've seen a lot of people lose their shit. So what we can't do is lose our shit. So what we have to be is very... I've said this during the pandemic about things, about people, oh, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, and everyone's losing. I'm like, no, no, no. Now's the time to focus. Now's the time to make these people see sense. Now's the time everybody in football, everybody to do with football has to unite together, including the 14 clubs who were left out of the big six, unite together and go, right, guys, listen, we're going to have to smack your arse here and we're going to have to put you in your place. Yes, and I said this a long time ago on one of my podcasts, those clubs that are joining the league are the, the most attractive clubs. They're the ones who bring in the TV deals. They're the ones why the Premier League has the billions in, in overseas deals and domestic deals and everything else. However, there is a tradition, there is a structure. 
There is a way our pyramid works. It's what makes it the most exciting league in the world. I've always said, if the MLS pull their head out of their fucking arses and created their own pyramid, mm -hmm. they would have the same excitement yeah. and they would have the same returns on TV deals, but they don't listen because they love this no relegation shit. So I don't think it will happen. I think part of them is throwing this out there and, and obviously they're going to come back and they're going to change it and they're going to offer this and they're going to try and bribe everyone. They're going to try and maybe redo the Champions League deal and use this to get them a better Champions League deal. Although looking at it, they're quite a bit down the road on this planning-wise. So this is something they probably really want to happen. There's no big TV company behind it. I know JP Morgan, my own bank, Chase, are, are, are mm. financing it. I think this is where the streamers come in. I think what you find down the line, if it were to happen, there's probably a Netflix, an Amazon, or an Apple sniffing behind the scenes. Now, don't quote me on that. Um but if I were a betting man, seeing that BT and Sky are unhappy with it all, seeing that Dazon have obviously said they've got nothing to fucking do with it, mm -hmm. I'm looking at all of this and going, this is a streamer's wet dream, you know, of a league to go and pay $5 billion for. And it's nothing for Amazon. For Apple, for Amazon, for Netflix. Yeah. That's like me and you losing $1,000 in the casino. Yeah. So something tells me there are streamers involved. So there's probably going to be a lot more that comes out. At first, when we heard about it, I thought, fuck, are they all leaving the league? Totally. And then, obviously, the details came out late last night about, no, they're going to play their domestic leagues, and then they're going to play this on every Wednesday. Oh, they want to, whether the oh, domestic leagues will allow them to do so. Well, look, the reality is, and, and this is where I, where I, if they want to, then do it. Yeah. And, you know, what they can do is call the bluff. They can say to the domestic leagues, and look, and, and don't have a go on me here. I'm just putting it out there as a, as a business person and thinking about it both ways. They are the, the meal ticket for the TV deals in the UK. And if the Premier League and all the leagues say to them, well, fuck you, we're going to relegate you, we're going to throw you out of the leagues, da -da -da, and they turn around and go, okay, fine, and they fucking leave, and we've got to sign a new TV deal in two years, we could lose half our mm -hmm. So that's not going to happen. So what's going to happen is some compromised version is going to happen. Now the, now the genie's out of the bottle and all the outrage is out there and all the virtue signaling has started, as the days and weeks go by, now a negotiation will take place. Whether that's with the Premier League, whether it's with UEFA, whether it's the Champions League, a negotiation will take place where some form of this idea is going to come to fruition. So that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, and right now everyone's just... I mean, the irony for me was seeing the Prime Minister tweeting from his Twitter account last night. And all I wanted to do was tweet him and go, listen here, you blonde-headed fucker. All right? Let me be very, very clear on this. You have ignored and fucked mm -hmm. our league for the last 14 months while you've kept us from earning. We're seeing all these reports now about outside spreads non-existent pretty much in restaurants and outdoor events and whatever else. You've destroyed our finances in the Football League, which are draconian lockdown fucking measures. They're still destroyed. Yeah, oh, we let 4,000 fans in at Wembley. No fans of the two teams playing, but we're letting 4,000 fans in. Great. Football's just got fucked over and over mm -hmm. to the NFL. So to see him going out there giving it the big one, I now mean, he cares. He would have fucking rest and pipe down in the corner. Yeah. And I would see Dowden do the same and the rest of them not interested in what you bunch of wet wives have to say. Because you've given the given no fucks whatsoever about our leagues, our clubs, the pyramids helping us out. All you've done is stopped us earning money. Do you know what I mean? Like restraint the trade for the last 14 months, like every other hospitality industry. So not interested in your crap whatsoever. Shut the fuck up. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, fascinating 24 hours. Watching it all blow up last night. Seeing it all blow up today. It's like, my God. <laughs> but they would have known that was coming. And knowing what billionaires are like, they're very thick-skinned people. 
Now, I'm not a billionaire. I'm a thick-skinned person. But wouldn't be as thick-skinned as them. That's for sure. Because the shit that's coming their way at the moment is like, wow. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, one of the quotes that I heard on Sky, this, and I'm just paraphrasing it, but, you know, it was a board member of one of the clubs saying that their job is to maximize revenue and profit. The health of the game is really secondary concern. And, and that sums it up, really, doesn't it? Yeah, they didn't buy football clubs to lose money. No. Um, let's be very fair. Billionaires don't buy football. Look, Abramovich bought a football club to have fun. He's probably the only one out of all of that lot in there um, to buy a football club. Um, not to make money. But as it turns out, with the values going up and whatever else, if you sell Chelsea, he'll probably make a return. But that was never his MO. He did that to make, you know, have fun. And But the Americans and the investors who come in and the people who own the other clubs, they're financially sound-minded people. They're not mugs. They know what they're doing. They don't buy football clubs to have fun. Sure, they buy them to try and win things, but ultimately they're buying them to make money, put value and equity on the clubs, mm -hmm. expand build them you know fsg you know had a value recently seven eight billion what were they valued at before they bought liverpool you know or, or bought the red Sox? so henry's a very clever guy you know the people behind united the glazers they got a lot of they got a lot of shit thrown at them but if you think about it again very very clever people they own the tampa bay buccaneers stan Kroenke, forget about the fact he's married to the fourth richest woman in america you know the man has has got you know he owns the rams he's just built a four billion dollar stadium mm -hmm. in la um, he owns other franchises. He's never lost a pound note in his life. Again, a very, very shrewd operator. So let's not even get into Levy and Joe Lewis, who own Spurs. Very shrewd people. So they're not mugs. They'll have the umbrellas up at the moment for the shit and the flat coming their way. And then it'll get down to negotiations. Yeah. You know, that seems to me um, the obvious. Like they just pressed, they pressed the nuclear button um to put a stake in the ground negotiate around and they did it the day before the champions league format was going to be announced so they had to put that off um and they'll end up getting most of what they want under the but within the existing structure quite possibly or they fuck off the existing structure and go with this idea but they get a compromise mm -hmm. and they threw 10 billion there over 20 years into the grassroots football and normal yeah. football was the bribe they'll increase the bribe and what they'll do is they'll they'll make it very clear this isn't going to affect domestic football. The only effect it will have is on Champions League football. So, you know, which really has nothing to do with the EFL and blah, blah, blah. And, then, you know, and, and it will come down to negotiations and bribery. And if they really want this Super League to happen, trust me when I say it, it will happen. Mm -hmm. So what about from a fan's perspective then? So as a Liverpool supporter that sees that your club is willing to basically throw everything away to to put their lot in into a Super League. I mean, what, what do you feel about that from a competition perspective? Got it. Um, I'm, I'm, of course, as a fan, you want to play the top sides in Europe every season. Mm -hmm. And Liverpool missed the Champions League this season, so you're not going to be playing Real Madrid and Barcelona next year. But I'm gutted. You know, we've just finally reclaimed the Premier League and I wanted to see some domestic dominance, you know, where we start winning Premier Leagues and FA Cups and League Cups. And yeah, OK, the odd Champions League flirtation is great. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gutted. Because Liverpool is, it's a fans club. It's, it's, it is, we all know Liverpool United, the history in those yeah. clubs, going back years and years and the different stories and sagas and the managers. I'm, I'm, I'm gutted. But you're owned by foreign owners. And I'm not having a ping at them or a go at them or whatever else. They're never going to be like being owned by a scouser. It's not like being owned by, I think it was the Morris family who owned mm -hmm. the club for years. You know, it's not the same. They're not, part of the people you know these are big corporate goliaths this is what they are their whole mo 
is to make money. Now, in defense of FSG, and I've dug them out lots of times, they've got Liverpool their first title. They've won a Champions League. They've rebuilt parts of the stadium. They've done things in the community. They've been really positive. And they've built a new training ground. Now, of course, a lot of that's with one eye on down the line getting a return on that. But still, it's yielded results. Yeah. You know, that to Arsenal, building a £300 million stadium and doing whatever else. But they've had no real trophy returns bar a few FA Cups. Do you know what I mean? And no real league title tells. But Liverpool's owners have done that. They've done it successfully with the Red Sox. So they will always argue they've delivered on the promise of both making the club more sustainable, increasing the value, increasing the supporter base value worldwide, and delivering domestic and international titles. That's what they'll say they've done. So what they'll ask for is a little bit more trust and a little bit more patience off the fans who are angry right now. But it's 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 not difficult to be angry right now because mm -hmm. it's, it's greed. You've got so many fucking people in this country. We just spoke a minute ago about the high street where I live in Weybridge. 80% of the stores are gone. You've got so many people suffering right now financially and economically through what's happened with COVID, you know, who've got no jobs to return to, who've lost businesses, and they're just reading about each of these clubs picking up 300 million for signing on as founder members. And it's just like, oh. and that's what I mean about the timing. The timing fucking sucks. Get to the summer. COVID's pretty much in the rearview mirror. The Euros are on. England do really well. And then you leak the news in September that it's going to happen a year later. It's just, you know, and this is how we're going to try and do it. Mm -hmm. We're going to negotiate. It's just the timing sucks. So one of those clubs um, who maybe have illusions of grandeur is Spurs. And, you know, as we woke up to the news this morning of uh, Jose being fired, you know, Jose was certainly someone that you, you think very highly of. And, and maybe I'm interested, did they act hastily? Um, do they think that they're a bigger club than they really are? Or was did Jose lose it? I think they were terrified of him winning the League Cup. I think, I, think, I think there was a mindset, fuck, if he goes and wins the League Cup and he delivers a trophy, Pochettino never did that, it's going to be really difficult to fire him. Mm -hmm. Obviously, things aren't well behind the scenes. And look, I'm not going to second-guess Daniel Levy or Joe Lewis. You know, they're very, two very astute people who have built Tottenham into a big six brand, <laughs> you know, to be invited into this league. They've probably got the best stadium in England that they've built. So there's so many good things they've done. Um, and I think they probably were thinking everything that's gone on recently and obviously he's fallen out with players and he's been critical in the press and the press are all over him. The results haven't been good. They're out of the UEFA Cup. They're five points from the top four. They lost to Man United the other day. They probably thought, fuck, if he goes and wins the League Cup this next weekend, well, then we can't sack him. That becomes really difficult. Yeah. So it's probably best, fuck it, let's just do it now. And and, and that's probably the mindset. I don't know. I, I can't speak for them. Um, look, we know what Mourinho is. He's one of them managers that you almost have to give up control of your club and you have to chew on a lot of bitter stuff for a couple of years via the press, internally, externally. As long as he's delivering trophies and titles, you can probably put up with that. Mm -hmm. uh, if Spurs were in the top four right now, we're in the semi-final of the UEFA Cup and we're in the final of the League Cup, he'd still be in a job. And, you, you know, in his defence, his teams are built on counter-attacking top defensive football with top defenders at the back. He's always at top defenders wherever he's been. Can you say the same at Spurs? Has he been given the goods to build that team? Mm -hmm. Has he been given the signings, you know, to play the way he likes to play, to build a team? The fact that they've led, I think, 20 times this season and lost leads in 20 games, I, I don't know if I've got that wrong, but just think if they converted half of those. Yeah. They'd, be, they'd be in a title race with Man City. Yeah. 
And a lot of that comes down to defense. Because they've got no problem scoring goals. So if he'd had, I don't know, given one of Man City central defenders and given one of Man United central defenders back there and, and a good goalkeeper, would Spurs be a title challenger? Probably. And, you know, and he, and he would have done that without Bale and Deli Alley. Mm -hmm. So that's the way football works. And he probably hasn't done himself any favours. But look, what will happen is he'll end up in the Super League anyway because he'll end up probably at one of those clubs. <laughs> right. So, so uh, you, you know, I don't think he's finished. Um, but I do think he needs to think about in his next job, you have to evolve as a person. We yeah. speak about it on the business podcast and there's a little plug for the business podcast. Go to hardtruthbusiness.com. We have a private members podcast about businesses, companies and life and we talk about stuff every week. But you have to evolve in life. What works in your first decade in business or in sport won't necessarily work in the second decade because things evolve and people change. Now, I go back to when I was building a real estate company, people were a lot less sensitive and you could do a lot more things and be a lot more aggressive and pump up your salespeople. Nowadays, with the generation we have and youngsters, which I'm not really a big fan of some of them, I mean, the way they are, as they'd be called snowflakes, you couldn't be as aggressive with them. So mm -hmm. you have to take a different approach. I'd probably have to be a lot more docile and a lot more like, you know, encouraging. You know, you so, some of those motivating factors might not work anymore. Yeah. Go, get your fucking ass out there. Go and get a deal. You know, somebody crumble nowadays, probably mm -hmm. some of that. People were built differently 10 years ago than they are now. That's just a fact of life. Okay, fine. We evolve, we move on, we, we grow. Some would say it's growth. I would say it's regression. But the point is that Mourinho and the tactics and the way he handles himself and the things he does, he could do 10 years ago and he probably can't do now. So what you have to do is evolve. Yeah. And, you, you know, you have to change with the times. And that's just football. It's it's why, it's look, it's a credit to someone like Roy Hodgson that, what is he, 80 fucking two or whatever he is. Do you know what I mean? It's just like to see Roy Hodgson still keeping Palace in the Premier League mm -hmm. every year is a credit to him because of what I'm talking about and the way times change. Um, but don't forget Roy Hodgson 20 years ago was winning titles. You know what I mean? And he was, yep. you know, he was, he was seen as an international top manager and this, that, whatever else. So like I said, if you don't evolve as a manager, you don't. You're a dinosaur. And unfortunately, Jose's got to look in the mirror when he collects his 30 million or whatever he gets paid. He's got to look in the mirror and go, okay, look, I know I'm the special one. I know I've won all these things. I know I live off my successes. And, I'm, and I've often said I'm guilty of being, well, I did this back in the day. Well, it doesn't yeah. matter what I did back in the day because it's a case of what have you done for me fucking lately? And unfortunately, you just can't keep harping back to the past mm -hmm. because people get very quickly, particularly in football. Football's a today business. So Jose's got to look at it and go, what have I got to do to evolve? What have I got to do to change with the times? And Guardiola would be someone you'd look at and go, he changes with the times, no matter what league he's in or whatever else. Like, he could have been written off this season when Man City started with mm -hmm. the work total after eight, nine games. But he knew what he had to do. He changed the style a little bit. He went with a false nine. He didn't have an outright striker. He changed the way they had to play to suit that. And look at them now. They're probably going to win the League Cup. They're going to win the league and they'll probably win the Champions League. So he'll win the treble because he's a manager who can evolve and move and change with the times. So... I am a big fan of Jose, but I will be his biggest critic and say, leave the dinosaur stuff at home, come out in your next job and evolve. And if you do that, you will have one final magnificent chapter. Mm -hmm. I think you'll have one more go at a top club and I think you'll have a go as an international manager. And I think both of those could go really well. Now, what about Daniel Levy, like from a Spurs perspective, you know, his... Is he waking up every day saying I should be winning the Premier League? Or uh, kind of how do you set expectations when you're at a club like that? 
I think Daniel Levy's waking up every day saying, if we can compete for the title and be in a title race with seven, eight games to go and secure top four of the year and flirt with a cup, they're very happy at Spurs. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to be filling their stadium up. They're going to be generating revenue they've never generated before. They are becoming a big club then in the Premier League. And, they, and look, they did well under Pochettino where they flirted with the title. They flirted with the Champions League. They were top four consistently. They had young players which were accruing asset value. And, and he's looking at it now and going, well, Deli Alley was once worth 50 million. Be lucky to get 15, 20 million from mm-hmm. now. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and you go through the team and go, Mourinho's not that type of manager. He's not going to help our asset base. He's not going to grow the value. But Spurs, no matter what you say, will always take 100, 150 million for a player if they get offered it because they, they aren't a Man United or a Liverpool. But in saying that, Liverpool would take that as well for a player. Yeah. So, you know, there's very few clubs who won't. But look, Levy does an incredible job. And what he's done for Spurs, I mean, you know, they'll be building statues of him and Joe Lewis. And I know people will have a dig and have a go and whatever else, but let's be fair. Um, you know, the last 10, 12 years, they've been one of the Premier League's best teams. You know, they have mm-hmm. consistently. So what do you want to do? I don't know where they go next. Um, I would go for the, uh, the Red Bull Leipzig manager in Germany. Um, I think he's the next manager to come from there who's, who's got it all. Mm-hmm. And I think he'd be a, a phenomenal addition for Spurs. But I think Bayern Munich won him. Yeah, and who would Bayern Munich want they typically get in Germany, don't they? Correct. But I, I think if you're going to go for someone and a younger manager, he's he's one that you know ticks all the boxes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, I want to talk just one more time on Liverpool, but from a football perspective this time, rather than everything that we talked about the Super League. Um, I read something in the Liverpool Echo last week talking about that when you're looking at transfer policy for the summer, it's really going to be about undervalued players instead of some of the top players. And again, just, you know, the conversations we've all had about where some of the gaps are, but knowing obviously the uh, FSG philosophy, is that a a surprise or is it just a, uh, I hoped it may be different? No, 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 that's, who they, are. Mm-hmm. that's who they are. I mean, Liverpool will have to rebuild their front three. Um, you know, Firmino's got to go 29. Mane, probably he's 29, not a great season. So you probably look for value and cashing in on them. Salah, you'll keep as he's consistent with his 20, 25 goals every year. You know, when Alden's going to go, um, again, they're going to need probably rebuild their front three. They're probably going to need two in there, in the front three. They're definitely going to need a top-class central midfielder. And they're definitely, definitely going to need a top-class centre-back. So they've got three or four signings to make. They're not going to go out and do what they did with the goalie and Van Dijk and spent because they got the Coutinho money to do that. So I can see them spending 40, 45 million on each of those signings, but it mm-hmm. won't be 60, 70, 80 million. Um, and they have to keep it fresh. And, and, and that squad definitely needs probably four or five good additions. The good news through all of this shit they've had come through, they've had some good young players come to the forefront. Curtis Jones has stepped yeah. up. You know, Yotta looks like a great signing from Wolves when you keep him fit. You know, obviously the young centre-back, Phillips, um, at the back. You know, there has been some positives. So, um, I think they'll be stronger next season. And if they do good business in the market, and I expect them to, and if they do move on a couple of players who are in that 29-30 category, and if I were them as well, I might even look at having another pump to Coutinho. What is he, 27? They'd probably pay 30 million for him. It would be like bargain money. You're not going to get anything back from him. They did it with Thiago. He might be someone to, if Klopp wants to change the way he plays. I think we go again next year. This season was awful. They're starting to get their act together. I'm going to watch them play Leeds tonight. That's going to be a really tough game. That'll be interesting to watch. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. And before we just want to say one quick thing, big congratulations to Norwich. Yes. Um, you love to see a club who got dumped out of Premier League in such a shit way. Um, but a club that lives within their, within their means, who, who don't spend silly money, 
who go about their business in the right way, who produce young players, who have a certain style of football, and they've gone down and they've attacked the championship and destroyed it, to be fair, and, and, and rightfully are promoted. And they'll, and they'll win the league as well in the championship. So, you know, fair play to them. They're not too far away from Peterborough and, and, and great to see and, and run by some really, really good people at the club. It's British owned. So again, you always want to see that. And then obviously, I, I couldn't pick who's going up after them because there's so many clubs there in the mix in the champ. But yeah, congrats to Norwich. Do you know, each time that as they're kind of going on this yo-yo journey, every time they get promoted, does that make them stronger? Or, yes. So it's, it, there is the compound effect of, of continuing to do that up and down. I think so. I think, you know, yes, I, th- I think it makes them stronger. I think, you know, their academy gets better. The younger players they invest in. They always know if you read about their plan, if they get relegated, they're going to have to sell two players and they'll have two players that raise 50, 60 million. The club will have no debt. The club will have mm-hmm. no money. The owner's under no pressure. God bless her, Dealey and her husband to have to put money in. So they run it self-sufficiently. They've got Weber there who runs it and he does a magnificent job. They've got a manager they have a lot of faith in. He will know from last time being in the Premier League, he won't be able to be as, as the way he wanted to take the Premier League on. You know, some people can get away with it like Bielsa at Leeds has done it. It's very difficult for a Norris to do it. I think they're going to fare better next time. And what Norris need to do, they need two straight years to stay in the Prem and then they can mm. maybe get a Palace-type run of staying there longer. And then they become a really, really, really well-funded club because, you know, two, three, four years in the Premier League, it's different mustard and different gravy. Yeah, it's that second season the Sheffield United have found out this time around as well. You know, Even though it was 20 years ago, that's what happened with us too. You know, first year you stay up, second year you think we've made it and you're never at the races. I remember, I remember Steve Parrish once saying to me at Palace, the first year was almost easy to stay up. It was the second year that was fucking nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first year, everyone's just full of excitement and enthusiasm and no one knows who you are. And, you know, Sheffield United with their overlapping centre-backs and people, yeah. by the time they figured them out, they're safe and they've had a really good season and all these clean sheets. And then season two, it's kind of like, shit, right, what are we going to do now? And then suddenly you go away from the recruitment that you did really well from and you mm-hmm. change it. Bournemouth did and maybe Sheffield United did and suddenly it's like fuck why did yeah. we do this now we've got all this money to spend we'll start bringing in players that were not never the kind of players that got us there in the first place fans demand that people yeah. demand that. want you to spend money and you fall into it and that's what I saw sometimes you hear me say back the philosophy and principle of the club of what you do and Norwich are a classic example Norwich if they stay up next year they will not go crazy in year two and go out and spend 20 million on a player or 15 million on a, a goalkeeper or whatever, they won't do it. Do you know what I mean? They will stick to their guns. They will they will be a well-oiled, well-run machine. And in the event that something happens, they'll have a plan B. And that's what's really, really important, get good people running football clubs. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you know, you see what's happening with the Super League. Good people running clubs is so fucking important in this day and age, particularly post-COVID. Um, you know, when you look at Sheffield United going down, I mean, what can they do now? to maximize the chances of them coming straight back up again? You know, is there a blueprint for when you get relegated to, oh, to do the Norwich? Of course, absolutely. What did Norwich do? Norwich sold one or two players, young players. They'd already pre-done the players they wanted in to replace them. So mm-hmm. they brought them in before they sold them. What I've done in the past with Posh, you know, I've, I've gone out and done deals knowing I'm going to sell Ivan Tony. I'm doing those two, three deals. Yep. So, you know, Sheffield United, you know, they're going to lose two or three players. Um, without a doubt, it's going to happen. And what they need to do is bring in three or four or five of the right players. They've got to get back O'Connell, I think, who, who injured himself for the season, the left side of centre half. So big miss for them for the season and what they do and the way they play. They have to bring a manager in who believes in their philosophy. You know, if I were them, Chris Wilder would have had like a three-month break by the summer. I'd go knock on his door and see if I can make friends again. 
yeah. and, and, and go, look, let's do it again. So that would be my advice to Sheffield United. And they've already got strikers who I think will score 20 goals each for fun. I think, you know, Brewster and McBurney will score 20 goals each in the champ. They've got older players that they've got to move on now. It's time probably. The McGoldricks, the Billy Sharps, it's mm -hmm. time. And as sad as it is, you have to say goodbye to legends. It's time. And what they have to then do is make sure they bring in the right characters. Because as Norwich showed, characters is essential. And there's no doubt in my mind, if they do that, Sheffield United's a massive club. They have a right chance of winning that league next year. The only one I'd say is, is that if West Brom get relegated and keep Sam Allardyce by some miracle, mm -hmm. I think they'll be one of the favourites. But Sam's got out of the champ before with West Ham. Now, when you look at somebody like an Oliver McBurney, you know, who he has helped us get through COVID with the sell-on fee um, to go into Sheffield United. Yeah. When, um, you know, he, he tore the championship up with Swansea, went to Sheffield United, didn't really happen for him. Let's say he's stay, still with Sheffield United, goes back into the championship, rediscovers that form and he does the business. You know, somebody like that just, you know, always going to be a top of the championship kind of player. Or do oh, you think that there's oh. a, way, a way for him to make an impact in the Premier League still? I think, I think that's unfair. You know, he's mm -hmm. a young player and, and he was signed, you know, to help Sheffield United stay in the Premier League. And he did it. He didn't score loads of goals, but he did it. It was his first season. And then this season has been a fucking disaster for the whole club. Yeah. And I, I, I'd like to see how many chances are created for him when he's played. He's young enough and I like him as a player. I think he's got it all. And I think he's young enough that if he goes to the champ and he wins the Golden Boot in the Championship, and he scores 25, 26 goals, and they go back up with a better plan. I think he will he'll catch on. Mm -hmm. He'll do very I think he's built to play in the Premier League. I think he's got a chance. Um, Brewster, not so sure, but I think he's that you know, he, he's definitely young enough, and obviously his confidence has taken a, a big nudge this season. Um, the fact Liverpool have three years to buy him back says they see something in him that there right. is a lot of talent there. So look, I think they're in a really good shape, Sheffield United. I think if you look at their squad, if you look at the things that need to happen, it's not a case of 15 out and 15 in. I think it's a serious case of seven, eight, nine out, including people who need to retire and move mm -hmm. on. Probably five or six in with a couple of academy players blended in and we're good to go. And, and, a, and a smaller squad and whatever else and, 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 and you know better characters and leaders and the players that were there before. So it just depends how many of them put their hands up who want to leave, who think they deserve to stay in the prep. Right. Which after being relegated with one of the worst totals would be, you know, the crazy if someone did put their hand up and say, I want to leave. <laughs> Depends what their agent's been telling them. That comes into it. So it's going to be fascinating. But mm -hmm. um, you know, I, look, it's been a horrible season for them, but I think they're going to be in good shape. And like I said, if I were them, I'd be parking a Rolls Royce in front of Chris Wilder's driveway. Mm -hmm. He's going, listen, can we go for a drive? You know, but that's, that's what I'd be like. Now, the reality being that that's probably not going to happen. Sure. You know, do they... Uh, I think the... the uh, the rumours are that Michael Appleton is def is one of the names on the shortlist. You know, should they be looking, or should more clubs from the Premier League Championship be looking at managers from League One, uh, going down the Premier to bring them up? Yeah, there's a lot of good managers in the League One. Mine being one of the best. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and don't often get the opportunity. And Michael Appleton, another one, top class, brilliant coach, excellent manager. So there are there are a lot of good ones. You know what I mean? Grant McCann, young one again, who I had and who's now done really well. Um, Without a doubt, there are there, there's talent there. There's talent in League Two, you know, who are who, you know who are doing ridiculous things with clubs they have no right to be doing them with, and mm -hmm. are doing it. Shows what good managers they are. Um, and I think you know, and, and if you look in the Championship, the Barnsley manager, what yeah. the fuck, right? With what, playoffs, what on earth? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, that guy's got to be manager of the EFL, mm -hmm. hasn't he? Um, so 
I dare say there's going to be a lot of clubs that are going to want him because of what he's done at Barnsley. Um, so, you know, and, and could be some of the relegated teams to come down. So, yeah, th- there are some very, very good managers in the Football League. Do they deserve a shot in the Premier League? Quite possibly. Will they get it? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Eddie Howe's out of work. Right. You know, somebody's going to snap him up. I read Celtic wanted him. But obviously, if that was true, you know, would that have happened already? I know he wanted a break. And Eddie's one of those guys when he says, I want a year out, he wants a year out. So, but he will be highly coveted in the summer. No doubt about it. Not mind. Um, so the last question that we have um, before we go into questions from um, sure. listeners is on transfer targets. And you kind of alluded to it a minute ago in terms of when you're talking about, for example, um, you know, you know, Ivan Tony's going, so you kind of got two or three lined up knowing that a deal's going to get done. You know, as you think about um, a club that is, you're not sure what league you're going to be in next year. Do you have kind of two sets of targets based on, uh, and how far in advance do you start to formulate those plans? January onwards, you're doing your, you know, your two different lists. You know, your, your champ, your league one. That's the mm-hmm. way you work. Um, uh, and they're both very different lists. Yeah. Because they're both very different leagues. So it's it's, it's difficult. Uh, and and those lists change all the time. You know, right now I'm still getting. Just before we came to the podcast, I was reading two reports and I was watching video footage. You know, of of two different players, two different leagues. So again, that's what it comes down to. Look. You all in the recruitment game, you always have to be ahead of the competition. Mm-hmm. You always have to be busy. You know, I had Barry on Saturday out there in his car, you know, at games, you know, whatever else, as well as my, my scouts. I had Baz going for final looks. Mm-hmm. That will be happening in the next couple of weeks. I'll probably go to a couple of games myself. Do you know what I mean? So you get into that stage, you're chatting with agents, you're having polite conversations. Do you know what I mean? And, and you're, you're, you're sussing out wages and costs and fees. You know, you're, you're not quite talking to other clubs yet. You've got to wait till the business is done. And then that'll turn in the end of May. You'll be having recruitment meetings. You'll be making your final list of your four targets in each position. And then you'll be saying, right, leave that with us. And then me and Barry will go to work. Mm-hmm. You know, we're already getting phone calls, obviously, about our players. Their phone calls from um, technical people to Barry. Yeah, uh, what you thinking, you know, if this happens in the summer, what are you thinking of that player? What kind of value? And Barry's answer will always be 15 million or 20 million, or <laughs> whatever else. So, so, you know, there are there are people coming to games, you know, right now that are high up in clubs, say, looking at your players. So all of that's going on right now. We're about to, even though football's coming to a close, the season, it's about to get very busy. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. Do you know what I mean? Pre-season plans have been made. All those things, you know, your dates for pre-season, where you're going pre-season, those conversations are happening. Now, this might seem like a silly question to those who have been involved in scouting, but for a non-scout like me, um, you know, when you go and scout a player, um, are you, do you go to that game and you're just, your eyes are on that one player? You know, it's kind of fixated on where he goes, where he runs, his movement off the ball. Are you taking a big picture and you're noticing him because he's just involved in play, but you're not necessarily focusing on him? So a great, a great scout has the ability to multitask. Now, of course, it's important. I want to know what the player is doing in the warm-up. I want to know what the player's body language is like when he's not on the pitch. Mm-hmm. I want to know when he's substituted, what he's like. I want to know how he responds sitting in the stands. You, you wouldn't believe the amount of stalking that goes on during a game because you're trying to find out someone's character. But obviously, while the game is going on, I'd expect my scouts to be multitasking where they're watching and going, actually, I like the number three. Who the fuck is he? And he's got his team sheet. And he's going, mm-hmm. uh, listen, uh, Dara, you know, didn't like the striker, but I tell you what, they got a fucking unbelievable left back. I'm going to put him on the list and go see him again. Obviously, he's going to check and make sure he's within the age category we like. Yeah. 
Now they'll be like, that one there. So that goes on all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't want the scout to be completely singular where they're just focused on that one. I, I want them to multitask. A good scout can multitask and see everything. Interesting. Yeah, I often wondered because, you know, you see the footage and it's just, you know, one player, what he does off the ball, but then you can be really single-minded single on the on that one player, not necessarily looking as well as his impact on the game yeah. more generally. Oh. All right. We have a couple of questions. We're going to go to a short break. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Hi everybody. Welcome back to the last couple of questions that we have for this week's episode. Before we go there, we do want to remind you that uh, every week, Dara and I will are recording a podcast for our business community. We're going to be doing that right after this. It's going to be another interesting one. Yeah, I was just on the community answering a lot of questions for people about their businesses and their life and giving a bit of advice. We'll be doing the pod later and then we're doing a big Zoom call where people will be pitching us for investment. Yeah. So we have investors on that with money to invest. And uh, if you're uh, eager to learn more, go to hardtruthbusiness.com to sign up and subscribe for £12 a month. So let's have a couple of questions uh, that we have. We have... Um a question from jimmy who's a plymouth fan jimmy says you talked earlier this season about hoping someone would do more research and data analysis to establish whether a netflix type model for tv should be considered instead of iFollow. has the efl thought any more about this or have the clubs been talking about it themselves with the context of you know maybe now is a good time as any for the efl to actually pull the trigger as we're all coming out of our dependency on iFollow the last 12 months I'm probably going more back to a hybrid model, I'd imagine, next year. Great question, Jimmy. And um, no, I don't think there's been any more research done that I know of, I haven't seen. Um, whenever I get a chance in my calendar, <laughs> maybe I'll try and look into it and push that. Um, you know, yeah, the iFollow could change. Obviously, my own, one of my partners, the, both of them have bought some software and we're trial testing one of the, at a game soon, um, their own version of it. Uh, I know Charlton do their own one. A couple of other clubs have their own one as well. Sunderland, I think, have one. So um yeah things are going to evolve and change and i'm still really interested to know if the efl did their own netflix app and everyone paid to sign up what the money would be for all the clubs versus what we get off sky so i still think that feasibility feasibility study needs to be executed it's gonna be really interesting isn't it when we all get back in the grounds and you know we've had the um uh, understandably not wanting to put games out on tv or streaming to clash with other football league fixtures now everyone's been used to it um, it, there's going to be a feeling of, at least for those who are in the UK, that something's been taken away from them because they've been able to go and watch all the away games and I follow. Um, so how do you actually, it's it's going to be a big question, you know, do you go back to how things used to be? Or now the cat's out of the bag, you've got to figure out a way to allow streaming and live to live, kind of, to coexist. Yeah, I, I think there's going to have to be a bit of that. And I think if we do do our own Netflix type thing and we find out that, it's worth taking the chance and, and putting all those matches out on match days at three o'clock or whatever else. That that's the route we're going to have to go. Mm -hmm. We're going to need to buy in from everyone. Um, you know, the key is, can that produce more than Sky give us or anyone else that gives us in the TV deal? Yeah. Whereby, if we can produce a study, the next time we go and have a conversation to negotiate, we can ask for a lot more money. Mm -hmm. we're doing that. So that, that's why it's worth in itself, you know, looking at the figures. All right, last question from Peter. Um, Peter says there's obviously some jobs where credentials, such as licenses, degrees, things like that, are extremely important, and other jobs where they're not. Within the football business, are there particular jobs that require credentials of some sort, you know, licenses or badges or whatever it may be? Um, and what kind of jobs can be earned through sweat equity? Yeah, like coaching is very much badge-based. You have mm -hmm. to have badge 
licenses. There's a process to go through. You can't just become a manager. You can't just become a coach. If you want to work in sports science, you, you know, sports therapist, physiotherapy, you, again, you need to go to school. You need to study for those things. So to be a director of football now is becoming a little bit academic. A lot of players I know, they're doing these management courses because I've done a few Q&As with these mm -hmm. management courses. So they're becoming qualified now and getting some sort of a diploma for doing that. Sweat equity would be, like I said earlier about Stuart Weber, I think who started as putting out cones at a training ground and doing a bit of scouting and ends up being technical director and running one of the big clubs. Mm -hmm. So there's always a chance with sweat equity. It's very difficult to become a Jose Mourinho uh, where you're a translator and then you become the special one. Um, but he still had to fulfill and do all his badges. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even though he started as a translator. So yeah. look, anytime you can improve yourself and get some credentials, I would always encourage it if you have the time. It'll yeah. always help. Yeah, most of the time, it seems on the footballing side, it really is down to badges and licenses and things like that. And on the business side, you know, there's there are opportunities like Ryan, who we had on the show, you know, what a month ago, who has been able to get himself into a position yeah. to be CEO of the company. Um, so yeah, there's definitely opportunities, but it's more the business side of the game than it is the sports side of the game. That's it. Brilliant. All right. Well, with that said, let's uh, wrap up this week. Um, keep those ratings and reviews coming on iTunes. Uh, we love to see them. We, we need a push. We need you to push yeah. the talk to your friends and stuff. Um, you know, our viewership is pretty much level. It hasn't moved much the last couple of months. So again, we encourage you as fans to leave ratings, leave comments to get us up the charts, every little bit helps. Again, you know, we do this for a bit of fun, but it's nice as well for us to see it tick upwards because yeah. that's all we're trying to encourage us. So we appreciate you all doing that. God bless, all the best. Thank you for listening. Yeah, questions, hardtruthfootball.com slash contact. And uh, we love to, to get your questions and ask them on the show. All right, have a good week, Dara. Have a good week, everybody. And we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah.